Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm Chesney. And today we have episode 35, The Love Which Grew in Wintertime. We are now well and truly into the end of the world arc of the series. We only have a handful of episodes left. This episode is primarily a setup. Uh, this feels like part one of a two-parter. And this one is entirely about uh, Toga setting up for his final duel against Utena. And in this episode, we can see Toga has had something of a change of heart in terms of his motivations for all of this. It's kind of subtle, but it's there. And you can see it throughout the episode. Toga is not the same person he was when he lost the duel to Utena 24 episodes ago or 21 episodes ago or whatever it was. And so this episode shows us the contrast now between Akio and Toga. We see how as much of a playboy as Toga is supposedly, Akio has something way more sinister at his motivation. Like he wants to break people as opposed to Toga just wanting a night of fun with them. Toga surprised me a little bit this episode. I think he's having a little bit of an internal crisis. Um, I think that I don't think that he's in love with Utena. I think that it's a case of like, I'm in love with the idea of her Um, where she's just so different and intriguing and I hate to say it, but not like all the other girls <laughs> <laughs> that he's actually kept she that she's actually kept his attention for more than a few seconds. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it is just because she herself is just a very different person than anyone else at this school. And sure, maybe their like shared childhood memory or backstory has a little bit to do with Toga's feelings towards her, but I don't think that he's actually in love with her. Well, I mean, we are talking about a Gemini and a Capricorn match, so <laughs> of course they're like actually hilariously incompatible, but you can see where the appeal is for him. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So once again, we start with the fairy tale opening. And this time, it's different. Like I said that it would change, and now it is definitely a different opening. Because now the fairy tale opening is incorporating some of these locked away memories that are starting to resurface for Utena because of the play and because of her dream the night before. And with this, we see Anthe hung in like the sword rose crucifixion. And we see again, Utena promising to become a prince in order to save her. So it puts a new spin and it gives a different context to that whole fairy tale opening that we've had so far. It isn't just a prince who rescues her. The prince gives her something to live for like a mission to accomplish. Yeah. And it 
shifts it because until now it has seemed like the prince was the thing that she was seeking you know like the emphasis has always been on reuniting with the prince and that the thing that she had to live for was literally him and now now that we see the full memory play out we find out that no all he did was deliver her to anthe and seeing anthe is what inspires Utena to take up a sword and become a prince. Mm-hmm. Just like what happened in episode one. We have come full circle now where we see that the mission that she embarked on in episode one is in fact just a continuation of the one that she had promised herself to when she was a young child. She's still a child, but like younger, like eight years ago, six years ago, whatever it was. Mainly that is just recapping last episode because last episode was all about that whole backstory. Um, this time it's just recapping that in the fairy tale opening, which interestingly enough recapitulates what that fairy tale opening is there for, which is to catch the audience up on like what the premise is. <laughs> but now that we know the whole thing, they're just jumping straight to the the meat of it of like no she's on a mission to save this girl that she saw hung from a bunch of swords eight years ago Mm -hmm. so we cut to akio and toga in the car and they're discussing the next match which is presumably toga and so there isn't a whole lot here except to say that like they're still taking these car rides together and chit-chatting like friends there's a lot of crossfades in this episode. <laughs> it it crossfades to the school hallway, paralleling the um, the pillars of the arches in the school hallway to the um, the lamp posts alongside the road. Whenever you do a cut like this, the the film student in me is always looking for like what the connection they're trying to draw is. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, say, a jump cut um, or a fade out or whatever else. Like when you do a crossfade, the images need to either look similar and like be a visual match. And I don't feel like these are truly a visual match, uh, at least not close enough. And I don't get what the thematic match is here either. So I think it might have just been like the animators wanting to do something stylistically and they had like a a halfway decent way of doing it, but I'm not seeing the connection here that that this fade would imply. <laughs> no, I think there's I think there's more significance in like a little bit later where yeah, I don't know what the technical term is, but there's these quick jump cuts of Utana in the classroom having these like sharp, really fast recollections of that memory, but she's, her brain's still not grasping it. It's so intrusive to her that she's not getting it. Yeah. Like the, the scene changes, but for Utina, it's still very much that same thing of her trying to remember what happened. Yeah. She's just not grasping it. It's too much of a sharp intrusion that she still doesn't recognize. 
I mean, it makes sense, right? If you think about it, Utena talks about it later. Like, it's almost like a dream. When you have a dream and you wake up and you're trying to remember it, sometimes all you get is bits and pieces. If she would remember the full thing from start to finish, she'd be like, oh, that's a memory I had as a kid. But getting these bits and pieces, it's just not making sense for her right now. Yeah, because like we see her... Uh, remembering the church and Sionji and Toga on the bike. When we finally like come back to the present where she's like having these thoughts, uh, she's in the Rose Garden with Anthe and Utina almost speaks up about like what she's thinking about, but she can't place it. Like, yeah, she's having trouble remembering it. Uh, she almost says something and kind of trails off and says she can't remember it's like uh, a dream that you have just as you're waking up it's like that's when she says that line and uh, she continues and says that she thinks that she promised someone something important and at that moment she asks to see Anthe's face and almost says is it possible you and I have met before but before she can finish that sentence, Akio walks in, like right on time. <laughs> right. Almost like it was planned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's just like the worst possible timing to interrupt this conversation when they're finally about to have it. Yeah, I feel like she was going to ask, is it possible you and I met before? Maybe, who knows? We, you know, obviously we have no idea, but just from the way that she, she had a flashback where it looked like she saw Anthe and then there was just something there, like a recognition. And then of course, Akio has to ruin it. Like he does everything. <laughs> yeah. And he says like, I heard you were down. Um, I wanted to know if you wanted to take a walk to cheer you up. And uh, this is kind of the first time we're hearing about Utna feeling down. It was mentioned once before by, by Anthe, but like we don't see it at any point, right? Like last episode, I don't think really would have qualified as Utna looking down in any way. So we're getting this secondhand information from these two that Utna has been feeling kind of out of sorts. And uh, and it's kind of like, it's two things, right? One, Utina's been raped, and depression yeah. is a normal thing that happens in the aftermath. And two, she isn't necessarily feeling down. She's trying to remember something. She's lost in thought because there is a memory that is like hanging right on the edge. She, like, she, it's like on the tip of her tongue and she just can't remember it. And so it's occupying a lot of her thought and a lot of her time. I guess a third option is just Akio uh, and Anthe are colluding in gaslighting her. <laughs> uh, that's what I was going to say at first. But even with my tinfoil hat conspiracies, they were like right on the precipice of something. I don't think Anthe is that level where she would put it off. Maybe I'm wrong. I, you know, but I don't know. It just, it felt like a genuine connection moment. It, to me, it felt more like here comes all seeing Akio. Yeah. Um, 
So when he proposes this idea of going for a walk, Utana, her response isn't like warm and enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. And so when he questions her on it, she blushes. But my interpretation of that blushing wasn't that like she was head over heels for him, but more that like she was afraid that she had been rude. Yeah, like a little embarrassed. Yeah. And eventually she capitulates and decides to go with him. And they leave together. And Anthe is all like happy and warm and smiling for the two of them to go off together. But for once, the shot doesn't cut. It hangs on Anthe for another few seconds, long enough for her to see and hear the the door of the uh, of the rose garden close and then when they have walked off and she is truly alone we can see the smile fade yeah she is not happy about the two of them being off together alone no and this isn't the first time in this episode that we see that moment of anthe's truly alone she lets her guard down the mask slides off. And both times, I clocked two, there may be three. Both times, she just looks a little sad. Which, like, yeah, now we know your backstory, girl. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a little bit deeper than just the, like, I think it's a little bit deeper than just the normal sadness. Oh, yeah. Specifically, it's, I didn't want Utena to go. For whatever reason. Right. You know, whether it's I didn't want Utena to go to with Akio or what? I think it's a little bit of both, right? Like she knows what's going to happen with Akio. And also she's developing feelings for Utena. Yes. Also, I, I can't like let this go. The fact that Akio said, we wanted to take you for a walk. And then just so casually pushes Anthe to the side <laughs> and drops her out of the conversation after that first sentence. Yeah. Because I think if he'd said, oh, I wanted to come by and take you for a walk, I think she would have been more hesitant. Maybe. We already saw some of that hesitation in the last episode. Mm -hmm. So again, he's using Anthe as the guise of safety and comfort to lure her in to doing whatever it is he wants to do. And he even, I could not believe that he did this in the next scene when they're walking amongst the flowers, he starts off the conversation between them and goes, I was just thinking it would be nice if you and Anthe would stay friends forever. Bitch. You just said in the last episode that she was a burden to be <laughs> friends with or to be around and that you knew from firsthand experience. It Well, I think the way he says it is more like, if only those feelings could last forever, as in, oh, you, po you can't possibly remain friends with Anthe forever, which <laughs> is kind of like a, a fucked up thing on its own, too, because like. He's looking at that from the perspective of someone who is stuck with Anthe forever. Mm -hmm. And he resents that. 
And so he's projecting because he is a projector. Uh, <laughs> he is projecting onto Utena his feelings about Anthe and his presumption that eventually Utena will resent Anthe. A uh, new tinfoil hat conspiracy theory just dropped. Akio is literally the planetarium projector. <laughs> you are not the first person to come up with that one. <laughs> Bruh, are you kidding? Uh, Giovanna from Empty Movement routinely posts that as like her theory for all of it. Um, like, I, I think a while back, at one point, she had done like the office meme of uh, corporate needs to to choose between these two pictures and they're the same picture <laughs> and it's Akio and the projector. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It would make some sense. Where is he every other time? Huh? I know the campus is big, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> all he does is project. <laughs> I'm just dying at the thought of him <laughs> coming to life. <laughs> as a planetarium projector like one day it just woke up it just gained consciousness and started walking around calling itself a prince i'm dead i love that you have landed on this theory also though (laughs) (laughs) that is that is some a-tier analysis for someone who's on their first viewing (laughs) hell yeah So then Akio tries to explain like the flower language of the red poppy and Utena cuts and Utena cuts in and says that she's surprised that he knows about this because she thought that like he only knew about stars, which, oh man, if we are going with the metaphor of stars being young girls, (laughs) Are flowers young boys now? <laughs> Is that how this works? Like, <laughs> because he's talking about red poppies, and granted, it's not roses, but red is Toga's color. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then uh, if you really wanted to get deep with it, you could talk about the whole like pollinator, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> That's way deeper than I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. But he's he starts talking about the poppies. And, you know, when Utena cuts him off and says that, like, oh, I thought you only knew about stars. Honestly, I took it as a little bit of a diss. <laughs> like, she most certainly didn't mean it this way. But her going, oh, I thought you only knew about this one thing. As if people can't be multifaceted. Or Akio specifically. <laughs> like... Yeah, I just took it as a little bit of a diss, like, oh, you actually have, like, broad knowledge of things? She didn't mean it that way, but it could be seen as a read. Yeah, Um, I I think that on some level, this is just like a childhood thing. Oh, yeah. Like, when you're a kid, and you're getting to know an adult, and you only know them in one sphere of life, and then you find out that they have a whole life that you don't see... And other interests and like they're they're just like an actual person who is multifaceted. Um, it can be shocking, it can be surprising. Uh, like the the classic example is like seeing a teacher at the grocery store, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh shit, teachers have to pay rent too. Um <laughs> but like um 
that for me it was finding out like how big of a fan my English teacher was of Shane's addiction. Like one time he showed up to teach, had like just come home from a concert or something like that. And that's when we like all found out that he had pretty much the same taste in music that like a bunch of us did. Anyway, (laughs) I am not trying to compare him to Akio. (laughs) Yeah, no. In case like any of like my fellow uh, ninth grade English students are listening, (laughs) (laughs) which a couple of them might be. So I guess shout out to Elise and Kelly. I think you might be the, maybe Nate. I think you're the only ones who might know that this podcast exists. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, (laughs) y'all. It's funny because Akio tries to talk about like the backstory behind the poppies and like it grew on a mound where somebody's beloved was buried. I missed the names. I didn't quite catch that. It seemed like a historical reference. Um, but uh, Uten is just, I don't know. She's still kind of checked out and he's like, I think she threw him off <laughs> with the, Oh, you know about plants comment because he doesn't really recover from that <laughs> to be able to give the full story. Yeah. Uh, it's so, yeah, it's pretty funny. Well, and what then, he was going to say is that because they were on lady, uh, Kubijin's burial mound like they're about death and remembrance and that mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. ironic considering that's Utana's whole thing I feel like I don't know sometimes I'm like man does the prince part of Akio like subconsciously come out in these little ways like why would he start talking about that specifically with her about the flowers? Well, about them being a signifier of death and remembrance. Well, they were walking past a bunch of red poppies, and so he was just explaining them to her. Oh, okay. It was... A, okay. Yeah, they were walking through a garden. Yeah. I just... I don't know. The way that the scene played out, it seemed... I didn't know if he took her straight to there for a reason. I guess it was more just like they were passing by. For a brief second, I was just like, is the prince still buried somewhere in there? Like, why would you talk about this specifically? But that's just the writing of the show and me reading too into it. (laughs) That's the writers, not Akio, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, in the background, we start hearing um, the sound of somebody taking a picture, like a camera lens uh, flashing or fluttering. Uh, We also see that he's parked... Akio has parked the car uh, in the flowers, <laughs> not in them, but like in a little space made for them. Yeah. Um, and then again, here's another crossfade or transition where we start listening in on a conversation between Toga, which is apparently the person taking the pictures and Akio. Well, it's not quite a crossfade. Um, it is a, it is a jump cut, but the interesting thing about it is that they're using the flutter of the camera. It's technically the mirror inside the camera. Yeah. Um, for single reflex uh, cameras that were the typical thing that you would use for shooting on film in the nineties. Um, that's when like 
the mirror that reflects light into the viewfinder flips up so that it can expose the the film instead of sending the light through the viewfinder. I only know that because like I'm I was literally a film student. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, that's what the like, flutter is. I'm like, um, I don't know if a crossfade counts when it's just the sound transitioning from one seed to another. No, that's, <laughs> I don't that's know what the technical is, term is. That's pre-lapse sound. Okay. And so that's another way of tying scenes together over a transition. But they go a little further with this, where we see the lens flutter in the prior scene. So like the whole picture taking thing starts early and then continues through the next scene because in that next scene we see that it's toga taking pictures of akio who's doing like pinup shit on his car yes <laughs> like i have posted the meme before i think of akio on like because this scene is so much like uh the viagra commercials from i think like seven or eight years ago back then i made the meme of uh this scene and the the tag like the asterisk at the bottom ask your doctor if your heart is healthy enough for sex yeah <laughs> which was like the the disclaimer that they always had on viagra commercials and so uh yeah because that's what this is right it's a pinup shoot <laughs> Akio laying on the car. Ask your doctor if all these fucking cars is, is right for you. <laughs> <laughs> the pile of cars took me a little bit to get. Uh, you know, in the scene. Uh, the scenery around them changes from like normal shit to Akio on a car that's on top of a bunch of other cars. Only thing I can think of is like his, and I, this is so disgusting, his like score if you will, like all the people that he's slept with. If oh, the yeah. car Yeah, if the car is a signifier for sex, then like that's his quote unquote record, which gag. Um <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> no offense to people who've had a lot of sex, but for Akio, like Akio's, you know, a predator. So most of those people were probably underage. Oh yeah. For sure. And interestingly enough, in this scene it is against the night sky, but we are in the planetarium. The projector yeah. is there in the scene the entire time. So it's like they're in the planetarium with all these cars doing this posed photo shoot where the top car and where they're, they're both standing is like on a disc that's on top of all of these cars. And then there's the car that he actually drives. Like there's all the wrecked cars from the duels. Yes. And like, I don't know if we get like a good top down view of what that disc that they're standing on is. Are all the like, are all the other cars just like jammed in the walls of like how... <laughs> Like you get in the elevator at the bottom and as the elevator takes you up to the top, like there's like one stop where it's the student council platform. And then there's the top stop, which is the planetarium are all the walls like along the elevator shaft, just lined with all these fucking cars. <laughs> <laughs> and then also um, 
I forgot the other thing. I'll remember it later. It had something to do with that. Well, I, I just want to point this out that like we have a bunch of shots that are like top down shots of Akio, like posed on the car, but we never actually see the platform that they're on. It's just like this random disc that's there. And I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah. So, I mean, this is once again, magical realism, taking the wheel literally um, and whisking away everyone involved to this in between space where like literal and metaphorical overlap and combine Um, what they're on. I mean, again, like the, the, thing of cars that the disc is on is also kind of like a pyramid. So again, metaphorical for the top of the tower overlooking everyone else, him looking down on everyone, uh, feeling like the king of the world or whatever. I don't know. I I can't think of anything other than just the floor of the planetarium. Um, Also, if Akio's there, uh, of course it makes sense that magical realism would come into play because uh, he is the planetarium projector. So, um, you know, they can't be in the same place at once. They're the same thing. <laughs> I, I'll stop making that joke now, but <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I think the only other thing that we see that looks like that platform is the dueling arena, right? Mm, yeah, you're right. Like a platform just like hanging in space. Yeah. So is that, is that, Akio's like magical space that he's kind of conjured up or had Anthe conjure up for him. I don't know. I'm not really drawing any other parallels to the dueling arena other than seeing sex as a conquest. Okay. So anyway, like the content of their conversation is the two of them like talking about the duel coming up and Toga's intentions and feelings toward Utna and Akio's intentions toward Utena. Toga is clearly concerned about Utena, and I don't get a jealous vibe here. I would expect to, given who Toga is, but for once, I'm not getting that vibe. Like, no. I don't get the feeling that like Toga is jealous of Akio. I get the sense that he is genuinely worried about Utena. No, I agree. It, he just seemed very contemplative and honestly a little thrown off by Akio. This is where I'm feeling that like Toga is connecting the dots that Akio is genuinely predatory compared to, you know, Toga's callousness, as it were. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that Toga has never caught feelings for anyone is different from the way that like, Akio is literally predatory in how he pursues people. And so, like, I get, like, the whole age thing involved. I feel like Toga would never do anything with anyone who wasn't willing. Akio absolutely would. And I think Toga picks up on that. That's true. Because Toga never pressed Nanami. When she was uncomfortable, he stopped. I mean, he was also kind of mocking her in that moment, but I, I do take your point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pushed her, but ultimately still respected the no. 
Yeah. We know Akio doesn't respect the no. Yeah. And, and this is, I think, part of where I feel like Toga's character growth is shown for the first time. I don't want to give him a pass on like the shit heel he was for this entire show until now. <laughs> don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. But I do want to, I, I want to give some space and some grace for the idea that a teenage boy can learn and do better before becoming an adult. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I do want to remind you, like, he's still 17 himself. Yeah. And right? a victim. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, sure, he is not immune from hurting other people. But this is the moment to me that shows that Toga isn't an irredeemable fuckwad. You know, like, I feel like if somebody gave Toga the enthusiastic consent talk on the first day in college, at this point in the show, I feel like Toga would take that to heart. Yeah. I don't know if first season Toga would. No. But now that I think, like, now that he has seen Akio up close, I, I think he probably gets it. Like, why you respect it when someone says no. <laughs> yeah. He does show more of an understanding of Utana and her character during this conversation that he and Akio have. Um, Akio's insistent that if he gives her a gift, she'll just, like, be totally, like, putty in his hands, basically. Uh, and Toga's like, no, man, like, you don't really know her if you think that she's gonna just bend over backwards because you give her a nice gift. Like, he specifically says she's no pushover for gifts. I gave her a dress once and she's just not that tight. I think he just picked the very wrong gift to give. <laughs> <laughs> like, a dress is not gonna win her over. I mean, even if he gave her a sword... I don't think it would win her over. She, I agree. She's just not. I don't think she's like a material gifts type of person. To which Akio says, have you forgotten? She's obsessed with a ring that some dude gave her. <laughs> yeah. Some old dude gave her that she doesn't even remember is what he says. <laughs> and, uh, and Akio insists like, when you get her this gift, say it's from me. Which is like some 3D chess bullshit. Like. <laughs> and really fucked up. <laughs> like, this is like having your secretary send your wife flowers, you know? <laughs> Except your secretary is like maybe in love with your wife, but isn't right. sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I say it's fucked up because it's like, man, if anybody knows. That Toga may or may not like Utena. It's you. It's you, Akio. You would know this. Y'all are close enough. You can see from his reactions to things. The fact that you're like, yeah, go buy her or something and tell, us, tell her it's from me. That's fucked up, man. Yeah. <laughs> but he does it. And mm -hmm. the very next scene is Toga giving her a pair of earrings. And these are like rosebuds. Like they're roses that aren't fully opened. Uh, and they're silver and like the whole scene he's like eating a carrot which is hilarious or he's just holding <laughs> it he's not like eating it yeah um, so but I want to point out like when he tries to get Utana's attention 
Toga calls her Tenjo-kun, not Tenjo-san, not Tenjo-chan, Tenjo-kun. Mm-hmm. So we see him in this moment respect the fact that Utsuna is a bokuko. Yeah, because it's a masculine friendly honorific, right? right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah. And so that's one of those subtle things that gets lost in the subtitles. Like if you aren't listening to the original Japanese, if you're watching the dub, that's one of the things that gets lost is that he uses the masculine diminutive honorific. So like what you would say to a young boy or a friend of yours who is male, Mm -hmm. which reflects the fact that Utna introduces herself, like her personal pronoun is Boku, mm-hmm. which is the male way of saying I. Yeah. Um, the, the gender neutral one is Watashi. Um, the feminine is Atashi. But like, she's a Bokuko. She's a girl who uses Boku. She's a girl who says brah. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> um. So again, we have like this instance where I, I feel like in their own ways, Akio and Toga both see a facet of Utna that the other can't. And this is the part that I think Toga sees. Because later on in the episode, he's going to express some like misgivings about the idea of Utna becoming a princess. Toga has come around on the idea of Utena being a female prince. Which, love that. Yeah. Like, he has started to genuinely see Utena for who she is that way. Whether what Akio sees is merely his projections onto Utena in, like, a compet sort of way, or whether he actually does see an aspect of Utena that is there... <sighs> That is a, a topic of ongoing debate within the fandom. Mm. <laughs> Always has been. Like from the moment <laughs> this show came out, like um, there is a loud and vibrant debate about whether Utna is bisexual or lesbian, and there are people who try to say, like, there, there are people who try to use a person's position on that as like a Rorschach test <laughs> about like whether they, um, you know, support lesbians or bisexual people in general. And it's like, that's going a uh, bit far. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think you can do that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's a fair thing to do, to use how someone reads this character in this show as a litmus test for their entire political view toward um, the LGBTQ community and lesbians and bisexual women specifically. Yeah. Uh, but like, no, I think that Toga and Akio each uniquely see an aspect of Utena that the other can't. And the parts that they can't see, I think, are intimately tied to who each of them are as people. Toga is coming around on the idea of Utena being a you know female prince, but not mm-hmm. a princess. Mm-hmm. And then Akio is seeing her still as a woman, as a girl. Which again, it's like, 
yeah, she can be both. <laughs> like, both of those statements can be true and are true. They just can't see the other side of it, necessarily. I don't think... I think Akio's perception of her as a princess is wrong. Oh, yeah. But seeing her as a woman and seeing her as uh, a Bokuko, I mean, both accurate. It's like, man, if you two would just combine your two opinions and drop this one thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this whole time, Toga also has a carrot, uh, just hanging out with his carrot. (laughs) At one point, he's holding it to his head kind of like a unicorn. (laughs) And also like a phone. (laughs) It's incredibly phallic. And it's just like present in the scene in a really uncomfortable way. <laughs> yeah. But then we see like why he has it because he asks Utena to come with him to consult on some business. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out he's like, no, actually, he, like, he kind of drops the act. He's like, no, I actually just wanted to ask you something. Um, and we get like, it feels genuine, like that moment. Yeah. Where at first he tries to do like the self-important thing. And he's like, not really. I just wanted to talk. And then asks her to go horseback riding. And so we cut to them riding a horse. And he's teasing her for never having ridden on a horse before. Because doesn't that go with the whole prince aesthetic? Right? Like, if you're a prince, you got to have a horse, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Her prince showed up on a horse. Toga, who has been trying to be a prince, shows up on a horse. Controversial opinion here. At this point in the show, I feel like if Utena was down for it, Toga would totally do like the whole two princes thing and not prince and princess. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, Toga's bi anyway, so it's not like he cares if somebody's a prince or a princess. (laughs) Looking back on it, I do think Toga was trying to take her on a date. Oh, yeah. With with the horseback riding. Um, and, like, the playful teasing about, like, you haven't ridden a horse. You're a great athlete. You haven't ridden a horse. Um, yeah, he was, I think, looking back on it, I think that was genuine. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> but I do. And his reaction... When, first of all, he is concerned when she flies off the horse. I think that was a genuine... Before we get to the flying off the horse bit. Okay. I do want to complicate something from earlier. Uh Uh-oh. Toga ignores and downplays her request for them to slow down. Oh, yeah. So, like, that gave me a weird vibe. Like, that was like, "Mm, if this is a metaphor for sex, if this is a date, mm, nope. Yeah. Bad call. Right. Like mm-hmm. this is where I, I I tack this on to what I said earlier. If Toga ever gets the talk about consent, I feel like he'll buy into it. Mm-hmm. He hasn't gotten that talk yet. And so this is still how he acts. <laughs> and I think even though he's a little bit more flexible or becoming a little bit more flexible in his mindset about things now, again, respecting uh, that Utena wants to be a prince. A part of him still holds on to that like traditional masculinity ideal. I mean, 
that's part of why he still looks up to Akio. Um, and I think that comes out here when Uchen is like, I want to slow down. And he's just like laughing and speeding up. Like that's very much a stereotypical movie TV show trope that you s- or act that you see play out between uh, the male and female protagonists when there's romantic tension, you know, like the male teases and like does something, even though the woman protests like that's very much in the traditional idea uh, of romance between a man and a woman. Oh yeah. And this is definitely a a piece of media of its time in that way. Yeah. Like that scene would not have been out of place in an action romance from made anywhere between 1981 and 2001. Yeah. Even now, we still see it now. But I think even if this show had been made now, I think this still would have been in there because Toga's wrapped up in that that particular idea of masculinity and how men should interact with women that they like. So she flies off the horse. Akio catches her. He's on the white horse and everything. Uh, Funnily enough, Toga's on a black one because, of course... All of this feels so orchestrated by Akio. Um, and he just goes, that could have ended badly. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and then somebody asks a question, either Utana or Toga. And he says, oh, I almost, I always go riding on this trail. This is lucky. Like, okay, I sure. don't think You're anyone per- asks a question. I think he just volunteers that information. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, even better the birds are working for the bourgeoisie and the bourgeoisie is Akio just, <laughs> they're just surveillance cams and so we cut to Toga defeated and he is watching this date now from the bridge overlooking like the forest or whatever where there is a forest around this school who knows the dueling arena forest certainly is not big enough to go riding in. I don't know where they are hiding the equestrian classes. <laughs> Bringing back an, a joke from like episode one. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> we finally found the equestrian ring. I mean, we did and we didn't. We still don't really know where it is, but. The long callback, everybody. <laughs> called it Atori Academy's equestrian classroom okay called it (laughs) but yet again a girl comes up to Toga professing love and it's ambiguous from the blocking whether he kisses her or whether he like leans in to talk to her but what isn't ambiguous is she runs off and he is standing on the letter unopened just on the ground He has moved on from all these like one-off, one-night stands. He has his sights on Utena now and will not be distracted by these girls coming up to him. The most he says to her is, I find your earnestness lovely. Mm -hmm. That is the most polite and flowery no I've ever heard. (laughs) And whenever she leaves, he comments to himself, that the term playboy is so old fashioned signaling that he's 
again, moving past that. So then Toga asks Sionji to help practice with him because he's got this duel coming up. And they start to have a pretty in-depth conversation here. Uh, we see like the first half of it here. We will see the second half of this conversation take place in the student council chambers after the commercial break. Actually, we're now past the commercial break. Uh, but we'll see that later. And Sionji says that Toga's confidence is draining. And we kind of see that, right? Like he doesn't brush off or like make some funny quip when Utina uh, pushes back about the idea of going for a ride. Like he actually just opens up and is like, no, I just wanted to talk to you. Mm -hmm. um, which on its own level is a more brave act. Yeah, I agree. I mean, going back to that earnestness, that's what's coming more out of Toga right now. And that earnest love confession, him finding it lovely, I just think it's so ironic that the next thing immediately after that is him and Sionji sparring and Sionji saying that his confidence is evaporating from him. Sure, because it was all an act. It wasn't <laughs> like something real. Right, like the date like the, the horse riding date, the idea of even going on this date after just giving her a gift from another guy, that is some low confidence shit right there. Yeah. Right? Like he's got to do this grand act to get her attention because he does not feel comfortable that he has it by default because he <laughs> doesn't, right? Like Akio has it by default right now. Right. But then Sionji pins Toga to the wall with, uh, you pretend to be chivalrous, but you've never loved anyone. Sionji was going for the throat. It's not wrong, but ow. Yeah. <laughs> and right on the heels of this, we get the Shadow Girls driving the point home a second time with uh, one of the Shadow Girls pretending to be the manly sailor Casanova. <laughs> <laughs> And I have the way I've described this in my notes, fish begging to be eaten. <laughs> uh-huh. Entendre on entendre there. I just, wow. Just like the layers of that one. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So eventually uh, the shadow girl catches one that she can't reel in. And this one turns out to be a koi fish in the ocean, which I don't know. Like, it also turns out to be a mermaid, but <laughs> I don't know what the significance of it being a koi is. Uh, that's one where like the cultural reference there is in fact lost on me. Like I know what the importance of koi fish are, but like, I don't know if this is meant to be like, literally an english pun like a, a <laughs> pun from both languages here of a koi fish <laughs> <laughs> but um uh, like i know that koi are or in the past have been associated with um the imperial family and so like i don't know you've the idea like you've caught a prince yeah and then also like, you just aren't supposed to be in the ocean. 
What are you doing here of all places? So we then cut to the bedroom. Anthe's alone. Um, Utna is awake and just like sitting at the table in the living room, uh, just looking at the earrings that Akio, mm-hmm. that Toga got for her on Akio's behalf. And she says, kind of ironically, like, this is all too much. Like, he's literally a prince on her white horse. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anthe gets up and comes to check on her. At this point, Utna has fallen asleep at the table, still holding the earring. And this is the other moment. Like, she sees the earring and the sadness washes over her face. Yeah. Because she sees not just the earrings, but what they mean to Utna. The fact that Utna fell asleep holding it. Right. Um, There are two small moments one not so small that I want to point out here in this scene. One is at the very beginning, we get our first signifier of time that we've had in a long time. It's been a while since we've seen, seen Mickey's stopwatch. It's been we a don't while get since a, we've seen Mickey. It, true. <laughs> and jury, um, really. Yeah. Um, we hear a cuckoo clock going off somewhere in the planetarium. Which I just find to be really interesting and is something that I'm going to keep a note of going forward. I didn't keep a note of how many times it went off or anything, but it. I just found it interesting. The other thing is in the little flashback that Utana has while looking at the earrings, thinking of the time she spent with Akio on the horse, she mentions something about uh, you have to communicate with them and put your trust in them. No, Akio says about the horse, you have to communicate with them and put their, your trust in them. And Utana says, just like people, right? And Akio straight up does not answer. <laughs> He's, he says, oh yeah, the horse likes you. Like, he, he just says, the horse likes you. I can sense it. Doesn't comment on what it takes to actually put into a relationship. Yeah. Peak Akio. But the cuckoo clock was the most interesting thing to me. It's been a while since we've had a time signifier. Yeah, and on one level, it's just showing like how late at night it is that Utena is still awake, right, and hasn't come to bed. Um, but yeah, like this is just more of Anthe wanting that connection with Utena back. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time that they had a true face-to-face talk in their bed, in their little rose bed? together it's been a few episodes yeah i bet she is missing that oh and she even says she tries to wake utana up and just says like utana sama you're gonna catch a cold and calls her name again it's so sweet we cut to toga and akio hanging out in the res the chairman's residence with the uh the projector again and um, up in the planetarium and and Akio announces I've won mm-hmm. and Toga's like nah dude she didn't actually like it <laughs> she didn't like the uh, the gift and Akio has like a couple of defenses here he's like it was just a bad gift then but also and I think he's right on this one the idea of him winning is that Utna has cracked like 
she is now conflicted. And that is moving her into a state that was the state that she was in when Toga beat her. Yeah. And so the idea of winning is now just a foregone conclusion. It now is just like the formality of following through with beating her. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is where they have the conversation that Akio thinks that Utna um, is better off as a princess and Toga is not so sure about that. And Akio says that nevertheless, he hopes that Toga actually wins the duel. Visually, the goofy thing with this scene is that Toga is holding a cactus and Akio is surrounded by cactuses. Mm-hmm. Like he's just laying on the floor surrounded by cactuses. What this room... <laughs> What this reminded me of was like way back in the student council arc when Mickey was up against that target board and Toga was whipping knives at it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, Not sure what that comparison really would highlight or, you know, make more interesting by, by the comparison. Because I don't think that Akio and Mickey have a whole lot in common. Um, I think they represent completely different forms of masculinity. So I don't know like, oh, yeah. how much that comparison adds to all of this. But anyway, like visually, that's what it reminded me of. Um, and there's also like the cactus as a phallic symbol. Also the fact that it blooms right as they end their conversation. The one yeah. that Toga's holding. Yeah, Toga's blooms... When Akio says he hopes that he wins. Which I guess is a sign that he probably will? I don't know. I didn't know how to take that, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) I was just like, oh, well, this is a freaky magic school, so. (laughs) So after this, we see um, a student council elevator shot that we haven't seen in a while. I can't remember the last time the student council met. Uh, And ironically, none of the student council members are there. (laughs) It's just Toga, the former president, and Sionji, who's been kicked out. And they make their way up to the student council platform. As they're ascending, I think it's dialogue. Yeah, dialogue from Utena. As a young girl talking to Sionji and Toga about her situation, like being in the coffin, her parents being dead. Living is just making me sick. Why does everyone go on living if they have to die someday? And then finally, there's no such thing as something eternal. I'll never come out of this coffin. And finally, when they get up to the student council platform, Sionji and Toga talk about that that girl was Utena. Sionji came to the conclusion, I think it was last episode. Yeah. And now they're finally talking about it together. And Toga says she's still in that coffin. And to save her, I have to defeat her. And they talk about, Sionji asks, are you saying that you genuinely love her? And all of a sudden, all these, like, conference microphones (laughs) are in front of Toga. (laughs) Which is so great. I mean, it represents us as the audience. And then uh, 
I think just the state of the world in general, like everyone wants to know. Um, and he, his answer is, I don't know. And to which there's like camera flashes and, um, you know, things that would happen in a press conference when like something is unearthed or some new news comes out. Right. Um, they also talk about the end of the world, receiving so many letters from him done as he's instructed. And Toga says, well, now I've received the final letter. And Sionji's like, dude, we don't have to play these games anymore. Like you're his little lap dog. You get orders directly from him. Why would you need a letter? To which Toga doesn't really answer that. Yeah. The the note that I made about this scene is the way that the two of them are peacocking. Yes. They are like strutting in front of each other. Uh, we get them shirtless at one point. They're almost like voguing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so... Um, like they're putting on a show of all of this for an audience of course like we know that we are the audience and also the show knows that we are the audience this is not the first time that it has done this with us Mm -hmm. of playing with our perspective this way but now it's like really truly highlighting like you said like with the press conference thing he asks this question like do you genuinely love her and, you know, like uh, the, the news microphones all set up to capture his official answer. <laughs> yeah, his official statement. <laughs> and so uh, I just got the feeling of like the peacocking. But then it comes back to the conversation about the, the coffins. And this time, Sayonji says, no we're all still trapped in our coffins and we get a shot of the three coffins again. And so this time it kind of puts it in a new perspective of like, we know that two of those are for Utina's parents and one of them is for her. But now, but now like with the two of them having this conversation, it feels like the coffins are for Utina, Toga and Sionji. Especially because they're all the same size. Yeah. So it's like, well, if you made one that's child size, I would assume that all three of them are. Which is wild to think about. Maybe they were all adult sized, but just the implication of that. Yeah. Holy moly. And and so like we get this fading between the image of Toga and Sionji as young boys and now as older boys and like the ride in the elevator was silent aside from Utina's voiceover. Yeah. But the song and that God's name was Abraxas is playing over their conversation right now. So now the song comes to an end as we're doing this fade thing with the boys from back then and now showing that like they are, they coexist in this moment that there is a symmetry between that moment in the cemetery and this moment now where they recognize they are still trapped in that same moment with Utina. Mm-hmm. So then we have the final scene of the episode and it is Anthe reading under a tree and Utina is showing her new earrings to Choo Choo. Choo Choo is just absolutely smitten 
looking at Usna with these earrings on. Mm-hmm. And of course, we all know what that means because we know <laughs> that Choo Choo is an extension of Anthe. Yep. But as Choo Choo is staring at Utana, Anthe looks up from her book and just starts like doing that loving gaze at Utana, just taking her in. Yeah, they they both can't stop admiring her. Yeah. And it's so sweet because Utana has just accepted Choo Choo at this point and is <laughs> talking to him like any other person, which yep. cracks me up. And is like, you know, how do you like them, Choo Choo? And like shows the shows Choo Choo how you would wear them and put them on. It's so cute. So it's also a reminder that Utana is completely down the rabbit hole. Yeah. She is in Wonderland. Like mm-hmm. the magic no longer phases her the way it would a normal person. She is trapped in this place. Yeah. Like this parallels the conversation that Sionji and Toga just had. And it shows us, you know, in its own way, Utana is fully buying into the reality of everything that's happening at Otori Academy. Mm-hmm. And this is a thing that I reminded you of at the very beginning of the show. Pay attention to Utna losing her grip on reality. (laughs) (laughs) It will become uncomfortably relevant soon. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I think if you dig into that moment a little bit too, of Utna being so sweet and soft with Choo Choo, and then Anthe turning and admiring her for it, that loving gaze. If you just dig a little deeper, it's the manifestation of Utana accepting Anthe like she did when she was a child. Yeah. And she saw her suffering there. Utana accepts that Choo Choo is a part of Anthe and just wants to show Choo Choo the little joys too. It's really sweet. Um, it's a really sweet effort. Again, Anthony needs a lot of therapy, <laughs> but it's still a really sweet effort and highlights just how much Utana cares. And then Anthony recognizing and loving that about her. Speaking of reasons that Anthony needs therapy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Utana looks up and sees Anthony looking down at her, but at first the shot is only in silhouette. And the silhouette shifts to the red, the, like the red sky, with all of the swords piercing through Anthe in silhouette. And not Anthe as a child, Anthe as she is right now. Yes. And Utan is like, what was that? Like the memory almost comes back to her. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I don't know if it's going to happen in the next duel, but it's definitely going to happen in a duel that more of those pieces are going to come back to her (laughs) and it's going to be really jarring. So what are your predictions for next time? (sighs) Man, I don't know who's going to win this freaking duel. If we're following the, you know, scheduling of the show, the initial layout where we fought Sionji, then blah, 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 then blah, blah, blah. And the pattern of who wins and who loses. That should say that Utana loses this duel. However, 
Specifically to- because like she's off base again. Yes. When going up against Toga. Yes. However, Toga's kind of come into grips with some kind of feelings for Utena. Is that enough for him to throw the win? I think he is shaken up between his own experiences in this episode, his own realizations about Akio, and the conversations that he has with Sionji. I think it's shaking him up a little bit as to why he is doing this in the first place. Does he still want to stick to that? Of like, I want to be like Akio. I want that power that he has. He got a glimpse of it. And it's like, you sure? You sure, big man? Yeah. (laughs) it's It's the same as what he did to his sister. Yeah. He showed her what that would really be like. And she realized... She doesn't actually want that. Now Mm -hmm. Toga is seeing from Akio what it means to have that power. And he says he wants it, but we'll see if like he actually takes it. Oh my God. I just had a moment of realization. My nightmare. I pray to God the show doesn't end this way. My nightmare is Toga duels her, wins the duel, takes Anthea away. And Utena doesn't have whatever power to get her back. <laughs> We're coming up on the last couple of episodes. Like some something's gonna happen. <laughs> I'm so scared. I again, y'all heard me leading up to this episode. I was like, I'm so scared for Utena. I don't know what's gonna happen. I'm so scared for Utena, and I'm scared for her relationship with Anthe. Because this little like moment of peace that they just had is the calm before the storm and shit is about to get so real (laughs) (laughs) i don't know which way that duel is going to go although one interesting thing from the preview is anthe saying did you know that there are things worse than duels we about to see something ugly something real again next episode i don't know and then (laughs) Also, what is Anthe going to do? How is she going to act or react if Utena loses? Yeah. She's so close to like this realization. Is she just going to go back into her shell again? Oh, God. I'm so worried for them. All we know is that Toga challenges her. I have no clue. I have no predictions. No tinfoil hat conspiracies for next time. (laughs) So we received a metric shit ton of email from you guys from our last episode. Uh, The one that we talked, we were talking about like anime recommendations and theories and Utena dueling or other student council members dueling each other. Um, So after this, we're going to do a mailbag episode where we take all of those because otherwise we would be here for another hour and we can't do that tonight. <laughs> so, if you want to add more work to our plate <laughs> in between now and when we record the mailbag episode, you can send it to us at absolutedestinyapodcast at gmail.com. And you can also reach us on Twitter at Zetai Unme Pod. If you're like someone on Twitter this week, I might just tell you that thread is long enough 
please just email it to us so that we can talk about it properly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was a brilliant point about the idea of like prince and princess and like the actual role in monarchy that they have. Mm -hmm. And that by Akio being a prince, that automatically makes Anthea princess. And the show didn't really address that in the last episode. It's like, if they're siblings, they are prince and princess already. Like if he's a prince, she's a princess because they are apparently descended from royalty. Of course, like we're talking about like gender norms and, and idealized gender roles as opposed to actual monarchy. But we will talk about that <laughs> when we get to the much longer email about it. Um, and you can also reach us individually on Twitter. I'm at Life in Neon. And I'm at Car Cutie. Uh, we're also both on Twitch and we stream sometimes under those names. And we will see you next time for our mailbag. Yeah. <laughs>